Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Buongiorno a tutti quanti, buongiorno everybody. This is John Viola, and uh, we are here with the second episode of the Italian-American Power Hour. Glad to have you back. Thank you for listening. Our panel today is very excited. We hope all of you are with us for our first Power Hour uh, a couple weeks ago, and we know you enjoyed it. We got a lot of great feedback. Uh, I want to introduce you to who's here with us today. On my right is uh, my main man, my co-host, the notorious P.O.B., Pat O'Boyle, here for uh, another Power Hour podcast. To his right is uh, the first lady of uh, Italian-American culinary arts, a dear friend and a great contributor, Ms. Rosella Rago. And on my left is the tandem that has brought you this amazing podcast for so many years now, the one and only team of Dolores Alfieri and Anthony Fasano. So this is our panel today. And guys, say hi to the world. Ciao. Hello. Hi. I, I've been Thanks, muscled. I have to raise my hand now to speak. That's I'm true. I'm not allowed to speak over people. Pat has, uh, in the wake of uh, your comments out there, we really appreciate all the feedback and a lot of great results and a lot of great take on what our first episode was like. And uh, one thing that we were asked to consider is trying not to talk over each other so much. So <laughs> it does, it, 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 I, it runs, yeah, I know. Why are you listening to us? <laughs> 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 You're listening to the wall. I want a podcast where everybody doesn't talk over one another. Go somewhere up. Go somewhere. Please shut off right now. This might this you, might not be for you. If you don't want us to talk over each other, please go find the Norwegian American podcast. <laughs> I'm sure it's out there. These we are not the people for that, but we're gonna try. We're gonna do our best. It's gonna last for two minutes. We're gonna try to be good Italian Americans. Yes, we're gonna try to institute a hand raising policy today. So we've asked all the panelists. Concha. Yes. If it doesn't work, work, we abandon it. Yes, it doesn't work. We don't care. Poor Dolores is the only only one with her hands up. Go ahead, Dolores. (laughs) It's so awkward. I said to John off mic, because he brought up this aspect of some of the feedback that we got. I said, sure, we'll just tell the listeners that we are going to, uh, you know, undo our genetics and (laughs) and reconfigure our characters and personalities in order to not speak over one another. Yes, to all those out there who are concerned about us speaking over one another, there's thousands of years of dysfunction built (laughs) into this style of show. So give us some time. Yes, we are going to try our best. We're going to try. Can I just say this? I, I envision this as Sunday around the dinner table. So if you had a family that didn't talk over each other at a Sunday dinner table, this may not be the podcast for you. That's true. 
Good point. This may not be the podcast. Yeah. You. you may have found the wrong demo. You may have found, and we love you. You just may have found the wrong. <laughs> hey, if we're driving you nuts that we talk all over, talk over each other. We get that. We just, I don't know. Can't find help. a find the Norwegian. I will say, in the listener's defense, as opposed to a Sunday dinner, is that listening it, listening to it like through mic and audio is a different sound. You know, it could be much more jarring to hear. All these people suddenly loud and on top of each other, as opposed to if you're all together in the room. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't bother us when we're doing it. Anthony's clearly the biggest culprit, by the way. Yeah. After talking yeah. over everybody. Anthony's the biggest culprit. I'm just taking it all in. We're like the oh, <laughs> I was like, I'm thinking Anthony O'Boyle, and I'm like, neither of them do that. <laughs> I, I was told I was told by a good friend of many of us here that we should model ourselves on NPR's fresh air. Is that right? Yes, the Terry I can't wow. see who's Terry Gross in the room, but the NPR version of Fresh Air, so it's going to be a Adi big French adjustment French. for all of us yeah, to have Adi Fresh in here. Adi you have to lobotomize. Prairie Home Compassion. <laughs> Prairie Home Compassion. Prairie Home Compassion. Prairie Home Compassion. Home Patrick, Patrick, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I do want to... Uh, we love the idea that we're welcoming listeners into the insanity of our friendship. And uh, Can you imagine if there's not Italians listening to this? They're clo- they've, they've, they've turned it off by now. So for those of you that have hung in here with us, you're part of the it, tribe. You are part of the tribe. It's been a while us. since we've been on, and so thank you for coming back. Guys, what, what, what's going on? Anybody? I know some of us have been busier than others. I was um, on topic for this conversation. I was in Italy for 17 days in the US, so a good two and a half weeks. You were um, back at the mothership? We did. We went back for our honeymoon. We, we got, As listeners know, we got married uh, in February, but we waited a little while to go. So I have some great stories for this topic. Did we tell them what the topic is yet? Well, they decided. So if you follow us on social media, and and we appreciate that you do, we are all out there on on, uh, social media and different platforms. If you are a Twitter user and you follow us at at Italian Power HR, you probably voted on the topic this week. And we asked what we thought were a couple of interesting options. And the winner was uh, going back to Italy. And you wanted to hear, you out there in uh, in America and Italy and all over the world, wanted to hear about going back to Italy as an Italian-American. So we're going to come up with our question for the day because, uh, like we like to say, this is part of it entertainment, part of it time on the psychology uh, on the couch, if you will. So we want to ask a question about our people and about ourselves. And uh, this is about going back to Italy and, and sort of why we go back, what to expect when you go back different tips and strategies that we can give you. And greatest memories. And our best times, because I know for all of us it's a big deal. So this was, when you went back, this was Drew's, uh, Dolores' husband, who is Italian-American. This was his first time back, yes, right? Yes, yes, yeah. And I think that he almost didn't come home, right? Yeah, he was like, you can go, I'll stay. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> I think we can do that. Yeah, he fell absolutely in love, which I knew that he would. Uh, I really, I knew that that would happen. We went to Sicily, and we actually went to the Aeolian Islands, which is where Drew's grandparents came from. He came, they came from the smallest and furthest out island called Alicudi. So we went. Our first stop after Catania actually was Alicudi, and we spent the night there. And it's just a there's I think in all year round there's thirty people who live there now. Wow. So, Italy was amazing for him, but then, you know, we had this visit, and I uh, actually recorded him, so we'll run that as a story segment on the Italian-American podcast in an upcoming episode, kind of just 
recorded him as we were making our journey there and we were there. So out of all these people, are, are like uh, the 30 of them on speaking terms or are they all? <laughs> <laughs> as far as I can tell, they were. We were only there for Because they had company. Possibly. But for, for me, you know, in this topic of going back to Italy, this was a very interesting trip, not just because Drew had never been there, but because for me, it was the first time I've ever been there without my family, like my immediate family. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Italy with my friends. I've never been to Italy with a boyfriend or a, please, a family that broke my leg. <laughs> yeah. You're not married yet? He's not coming here. And, you know, so for me, it was a totally different experience as well. Because I've always gone and stayed with relatives in the small towns in Campania that we're from. And this time I was with my husband. We rented a car. We did whatever we wanted. We stayed in nice hotels. And it was a very different experience for me, um, just as much as it was for Andrew. And that's an interesting topic today. Like going back to Italy as an Italian American means different things. Like you can go as a tourist. I think it's safe to say all of us have done a version where we're there as a tourist. You stay in a place you don't know, where you don't know people. You try the hotels, try the restaurant recommendations, you know, guidebook version of the experience. And then there's going home and going to the towns where you come from or finding the towns where you come right. from, finding your family. Like There's all these different ways to experience well, it. Well, then again, like personally, I the first time I ever went to Italy was when I was seven years old. I went back to Maladi Bari. And there was sort of, there's sort of like a flow to when you're from Malandi body is that uh, you're supposed to start going when you're really, really young. Like most of my aunts and cousins would pack up the kids, a year old, you know, good enough, throw them on the plane, and you go for a whole month. Your dad doesn't come though. Just you and your mom or your grand, you and your grandma go. And then for two weeks in August, usually your dad will come hang out with you. So that's how, like, that was my boyfriend's experience, that was um, all of my cousin's experience. I went to Italy for the first time with my nonna Romana. My parents shipped my brother and I off to Italy with uh, with her, and we went to go stay with two of her sisters that still live there, and we stayed in the Campania. But we loved that first year, and then the years after that we went, it was like, okay, wait, we're still just, like, in Campania. And we would stay <laughs> in a Campania five minutes from town, right? called Cozza, Cozza Beach. And it was like this big compound where there was a main house that was built in 1922. There's still a big sign that says Villa Tapino, 1922. So the big main house was then divided into three different villas for Nicola Tapino's uh, eight children, I think, that he had. So they all had a little bungalow. And then my Diacchiata's bungalow was built in the 70s on the left-hand side. Then in the back, two more bungalows built up and it was gated. So we all lived on this big compound. We were either five years old or 75 years old. (laughs) And there was absolutely nothing to do. I mean, there was black and white television that would shut off when it rained. (laughs) Um, That like our greatest pastime was was just stealing all the almonds that would hang off the tree that was on the other property. Uh, We had one cousin named Luciano that like, it was just 
it was like Tom and Jerry. It was like spy versus spy. Like every day, it was like, how can we kill Luciano? <laughs> because he was just the most annoying little Italian kid. He would ride his, if you were in a hammock sleeping, you would ride his bike around you, humming. Luciano, we hope you're listening out there. You try to catch a lizard, and he would come and clap just as you were. So these were your experiences. It wasn't like, by the time I was 18, my, my fan, people would hear that I'd been to Italy so many times. They'd be like, oh, so you've been to Rome. And the Amalfi Coast, and, all the, and I was like, no. Nope. I had the same experience, bro. I mean, they did shit me off for the summer, but I would come home, and as I got older, people like, oh, Italy, isn't it yeah. so romantic <laughs> and beautiful? And I'd be like, Bayamo's like, all right. It's, yeah, yeah it's I don't like, know. It's like, it's not, not really. Like, it's not really like that, because I really, they never took us anywhere, yeah. right? Well, they wanted just to be, and I, now that I'm older, I understand a little better. You know, they wanted to be. With their family, yes, it wasn't in their about home. Scene stuff. Well, no, it wasn't. And that's the one version, yeah. right? You like you're you're in that Italian continuity. You're going back at from a family that's very identified with a place, still has family there. Anthony, you wrote the book on going back. You discovered this yourself, right? I mean, this was something you you pursued. To, like you you created this path for yeah, yourself. I, back. I have a different story, just because of, you know my great grandparents came here and. Well, I vaguely remember, you know, my grandmother, one grandmother speaking Italian. I didn't know anything about it growing up in terms of, like, her parents. So it was different. And then last time I had gone to Italy before I went recently was in college, studied abroad in Brussels, and we took some trips there and stuff. But I got to the point where I was just kind of like, if I don't go back, if I don't figure out where I'm from there now, well, my grandparents are still around and able to tell me everything. It's not going to happen. So that's why about five years ago I started sitting down with them and getting all the information. And thankfully I was able to find family there. And we spent most of the summer there two years ago. And for us it was more like... (laughs) First of all, I'd never been to southern Italy. I had only been to some of the tourist areas when I was there in college. Mm. We never went. And when you were growing up, when people say like, "Where's your family from in Italy?" Did you know the towns, or did you just say like, "We just knew like Naples, everybody, Naples, Salerno." If everybody that says they're from Naples actually had family from Naples, would be like the most overpopulated <laughs> city yeah, on the true. planet, and it's pretty it's pretty packed as it is. But like, you know, people have this idea of the port that they left, and I'm yeah. always shocked by how many people haven't got an answer for and where specifically they came from. If I may, and I have to raise my hand first, if I could interject. I think that Anthony brings up a good point because if you talk to Italian Americans, and of which what eighty-five percent have roots in the South, 87 percent, yeah. they're blown away by the North of Italy, but they feel very much at home in the South of Italy. That's and if true. you gauge their responses, it's very indicative of the cultural divide. It's not, it's not a pejorative analysis of Northern Italy. It's just that. Since Southern Italian culture is so different in so many ways, I actually walking here ran into a couple. She's from Madrid. He's from Veneto. He's from Padua. They're here as tourists in New York. I was actually asking them directions, and um, he responded to me. He goes, oh, I'm from Italy. And I asked him where, and he said, Italy's in Europe. I said, yeah, I know that. <laughs> but I think that kind of goes with the general... You know, you're an American, you have no idea. And then the reason I say it is that he had, he had told me that he's never been to Rome. He's a 45, very wow. well-educated guy, 45 years old. He goes, well, I've never been to Rome, which kind of blows me away why you're in Padua, you would never go to Rome. 
but he said that by accident he had wound up in in Naples but on his way on his honeymoon it was supposed to drive to no really was supposed to drive to Sicily um, take the ferry from Reggio Calabria the car breaks down him and his wife I guess get the car towed they wound up in Naples I, I didn't get the full story this is a lot this is a New York street corner conversation mind you but this is the question of the show. How the hell did I end up in Naples? Yeah. You, know, you know how it came up is because he hears when I speak Italian, I have a very heavy Campania accent. And I said, well, what, what did you think of Naples? And he paused. I said, he goes, well, there are pros and there are cons. So I said, what are the cons? He goes, oh, it's chaotic and dirty. And I go, what are the pros? And he said, the people were so warm. He said, you know, everyone had a conversation. Everyone wanted to, to talk to me. He said, and if you go into a small town in Venezuela, and this was his quote, not mine, he goes, it's a very closed society. He goes, the one thing he really liked about Campania, and then he wished Veneto was more open. And I said, well, I think a lot of the openness of the Neapolitans is very much linked to their creativity as a culture, and I think that's also kind of indicative of why Naples can be a little bit chaotic. It's hard to keep a million artistic people fettered, if I may use the word. But I think that what comes out of that is that, like I said, for people going back to follow up what Anthony said, there's a feeling of, I get these people in the South, where people, I think sometimes they're in the North and they're like, this is really beautiful, this is Italy, but I, there's a little bit of a disconnect culturally. And I think it also followed up with what Dolores said about, you know, I'm sure when Drew went there, of an island of 30 people, there must have been some kind of feeling of connectivity. Yeah, he did feel that way. Drew's not, you guys all know Drew fairly well, he's not like one for really expressing his feelings and you know even like write a poem about it or anything <laughs> but as my husband I can tell and he was so happy like he was just really happy and he wanted to go see everything that he could see and we weren't there very long so he's, he's like I'm gonna wake up we like stayed up really late just sitting on the roof of the hotel we were staying in overlooking the water he just kept talking about his family and his grandparents kept sending pictures back home to his mm -hmm. family while they were there and he was like I'm gonna wake up at um I'm gonna wake up to watch the sunset here and that's how I know that's his way of saying he fell in love and he felt very connected and also he, we wanted to go see the cemetery and I woke up extremely early. <laughs> no, I was, he was like, you don't have to come. And I was like, no, I'm going to come. So I got up really early, not as early as the sunset, but and we walked up and it was raining. But he was, he took all these pictures and even wanted to take something from the cemetery, but I told him he couldn't do that because it's that much. <laughs> we love cemetery. Uh, I know. I thought, I thought that episode was going to win. But no, I, <laughs> what did I? It's like a family. It's an event. But I can tell yeah. his he wanted to do that, not because he's the type, even. He was like, I'm here. This is my land. It's, yeah, and was, we were looking at, like, it's his very, great... It's very culturally Italian. My father was born and raised in Ireland. I was in an Irish family reunion over the weekend with relatives of mine who were my age from born and raised in Ireland, one of which came here for the reunion. And we were talking about cemeteries. It was just in Ireland, especially in, my, in the 50s and 60s, the idea was you didn't go to the cemetery because it was kind of like, um, he said he said this something to me, that, you know, how cemeteries in our own fell apart because the idea was when they were dead, you leave them alone, let them rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Why well, do you have to go bother them for? And I think it's a very, and growing up with my mother and my grandmother, the idea was you always at the cemetery. And I think it was such a different, I had to stop and kind of process it. So the reason I bring it up is I think that's something that's culturally so much of who we are. 
here in America that we brought from Italy is, is the reverence for the cemetery. It comes out in Drew. Yeah. So even though Drew hadn't been there, it kicked in, I have to go to the cemetery. Yeah. I don't know who's buried here. I might not find the tomb, but I need to be here because pe- my people are buried in this land. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, funny. That's, that's, yeah, I see that a lot. The whole, the whole cemetery is Toronto's, number one, because it's a very small island and half of the people who are on it were Toronto's. And his great-grandparents are buried there, and he knew that, and we actually saw their tomb, and they had a, actually a very nice one, so they must have done pretty well. We do know that his grand, great-grandfather was um, Falignan, he was a carpenter. So we saw the house where they lived and where he did his carpentry. Drew doesn't speak Italian, he doesn't read Italian. And I was reading to him what was etched on their tombstones. And I said, I know you don't know what this means, but this line here on your great-grandmother's, it says, and her children far away. And he was just like, like, it just like, like, that's your... That's your family. That's, that's you. Your, that's like, you. You, that, you know what I mean? Right. That's your grandpa. And, and then who left. So that's like what, she, that's what it meant. So you can, that's extra on her tombstone. Like I have chills right now. Like you can know by that that she was suffering. Yeah. Because her kids were far away and those kids. And he just, like it was a really big deal to him. And that's what brings you back to the cemetery, whether or not you're inclined to, you know, these kind of traditions. Like on my wife's family, they're from Italy and we go back with them and they're not the same that they're from Abruzzo and Tuscany, but even them, like they make a point. We go, go to the cemetery. It's just, it is where you are. It's, it's part of every um, yeah. trip to Italy. Yeah. Like, you have to, you have to make the time. I gotta, we gotta go to the cemetery. Yeah. And it's just something that's understood. It's yeah. like, Oh yeah. You have to make the time to do that. But I think also this jump in. Abruzzo is very much the South of Italy. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny, culturally, how the borders of the two Sicilies. If you look at the last election in Italy, and you look at cultural traditions, the cultures really do kind of fall across that fault line. Yeah, that's true. It's definitely a southern part of the country. I mean, and it's funny, like, we talk about where we were over these weeks since we last recorded. Pat and I actually took my dad and eight or ten of his friends. I can't even remember. It was such a blur. And we actually led them on a tour through Italy. Um, my dad obviously has been back a lot. Some of his friends have been back a few times, different experiences. But we took them uh, We took them from Rome, Naples, Sorrento, and then finally to, like, the Valle di Diano and the towns where most of them were from. And, you know, in Rome it was like, oh, my gosh, the Colosseum, the Vatican, this. That, I mean, everything you can imagine. And every day we got a little bit deeper south and a little bit humbler in the experience. Mm-hmm. And by the end, the guys like I said, many who hadn't been there before were like, wow, this was really amazing because we, we felt overwhelmed every day. Didn't think we could feel more overwhelmed and then we did. And, and that's the beauty of whether it's going south or going home, there's something really beautiful about that. Just want to say on that point and also on the story about True, the thing that's great about this topic in general is if you do what they did, like Drew did, for example, it completely changes like your life view. Like, when someone says, where, where are you from? Like, yeah, like, when growing up, most of the people I knew were just, like, from Naples. Yeah. But now, like, if you ask Drew that question, he's going to give you, like, an amazing answer. Because he knows where he's from. Yeah. He so, knows. like, it changes your whole, like, outlook of, like, where you came from, basically. Absolutely. And I think a monument to the, what Italy accomplished as a cultural powerhouse is every little tiny village has something to brag about. Something that's unique, a tradition Absolutely. that's unique, a dialect that's unique, 
a food culture that might be just like the town that's next to them, but a little bit different. <laughs> and I think that it's to, to be able to brag about that is to say that this small community was able to produce things that are unique, completely unique from anywhere else in the world. Absolutely. So there's a, there's, a, there's a connection to a place, but there really is a distinct identity on all levels from those places. Well, I think when you grow up in a certain way, like going back to Italy a lot the way I did, it, it becomes a part of your identity. I am mm-hmm. a completely, uh, I am the person that I am because of all those summers spent the way I spent Absolutely. them. And it just, growing up, you, you ask mom and dad, like, well, why can't we go to Disney World this year? Why aren't we going to cool <laughs> places? But like, Jennifer's family went on a cruise. And I was like, this is for the best. Yeah. This is the best thing for you. And you know what? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, go look with Jennifer. Yeah, go look with Jennifer. Yeah, go with Jennifer. But it, I, I can't imagine what my childhood would have been like. What my, not even my childhood, in my teen years. Those are some of the best memories I have. I, I have so many family friends that went Italian-Americans from the neighborhood and from different parts of the country that I have been able to, like, I've been around this stuff and working in the community. And it's been so, I've been so identified with it that, like, when they go back to Italy for the first time, they, they call me and they ask me, like, you know, can you help? And, and I've helped as many, uh, many, many people plan these things and a lot of them go and this is a topic I want us to talk about actually in like uh, tour groups mm-hmm. and so I'm always amazed because they're you know to be fair especially if you if you're buying like really like a really off the shelf tour package it's not necessarily about any kind of like deep cultural dive it's like the, the hot spots and right. you know it, it's not a, it's a sort of one size fits all experience in some cases and they always come back and if they've gone to Rome or Florence or Venice or whatever, like I felt so at home with this. And I always sort of get this big smile on my face and I say, well, wait till you really do go home and find your town or, or dig deeper. And again, it's like we were saying, Rome to Naples to Sorrento to Navallo, every day was like a little bit deeper into who these people were. And I love that because that's the same as Epcot Center, really. It's, it, you're, you're looking for an Italianita and you can find it in all of Italy. It's just a different experience. When I turned 18, I got to finally see other parts of Italy because... Uh, you did the reverse. <laughs> well, yeah, the same thing happened to me. And you know what? When I saw all the stuff, like, you know, when I realized that only Nanamana was next to, was five minutes yeah. by car, and I was like, no, no, but why didn't you guys ever take us to Polignano to go to the Albero Village? And she was like, I can't shut up it. you... I was like, Rome is three hours from here? Like, I think in the car, I'm going to Rome, you guys? Like, we've been here, I've never seen but, it. But, you know, part of it is Italy's pride of, why would you want to go to Rome? That's what it is. <laughs> no. Yeah, and that's a good, that, you know. They would only take us to Mola on Sundays, too. It, wow. it was only, like, Sundays, dress us up, take us out. So you were just locked in the compound all week. Locked in the compound all week. That's some, like, Mormon wives stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah. I don't know. Especially right. for Mola. <laughs> well, <laughs> when I turned 18, my graduating class organized a big um, tour to Italy. And I had no idea when I signed up for it that I was about to experience Italy in a way I had never experienced it before. And I'm so glad that I did that because I did get to see all the hot spots, but it was really like rough in it too. I mean, we were on a bus, we got one bed per person, um, we had to lug it up, you know, walk up buildings. There were no elevators in any of the of the hotels that we stayed at, and it was, you know, the star level. 
uh, of hotels in Italy is not exactly comparable to American. You know, that's that's a tip for our listeners. Yes, Italy has an independent hotel star system. It is only Italy in that system. So what might say four or even five stars is not judged against the same international standards as every other nation. My last in the world. hotel was like that. Something yeah. tripping it wasn't it No, horrible, but I was like. This is insane for what I'm saying. But let me like, tell you, it, it also okay. goes the other way. Because I'm going to give a plug here to a... Well, you know what? No, I'm not going to give that secret out. You're going to have to keep listening for that secret. Because it's probably the best hotel in Rome that I found. Pat, you and I stood there when we went with the princess, so you know what I'm talking about. We did some meetings out of it. It's right in the center of town. It is only three stars, but it was a oh, five-star the experience. One, the, 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 I'm not going to mention it, but December? Yeah. Yeah, I, just I, a phenomenal I, hotel. Can I jump in? Ninety dollars a night. Felt what? like I was a king. What? I'll tell you guys offline. But, but let me say, let me say something what? to the credit of this. The benefit is in Italy, you might have to work, walk up six flights of stairs, but you're going to have a fantastic conversation with the people at reception. Yes, that's the trade-off in Italy. This you have to rate the stars in a different way because. I get WhatsApp messages from the guy who was the at the reception desk. <laughs> you know, that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, it's very he's easy. Here, yeah. He's going to come visit you. It's yeah, true. I mean, you know, it's, we, it, was, it, was, it, it was Christmas. Hey. It was right before Christmas. It was 90-something dollars a night. Hotel was only a couple years old. The people would welcome. I mean, you become like friends. My brother, with, yeah. my brother was there. That's, yeah. that's a lot in, in Italy, though. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, the, price, the hotel prices are considerably less. Whereas, yes. like... In Rome, you know, which is like the New York City of, of Italy, you're going to pay 90 euros a night. And that's like kind of high-ish for them. You know, try and get a room at like the Holiday Inn in, in Manhattan. It's $400. No, it's it's impossible. So, Except on the Costiera because the Costiera was not cheap. Yeah, no. Costiera was not $90 a night. No, that is one. is affordable if you know... Can we tell people the Costiera for those listeners that are not? Uh, yeah, it's the Amalfi Coast, that which is but very this, touristy. This depends on on many different factors. When are you going to Italy? So prime time is going to be end of June to the beginning of to the, until August fifteenth, Ferragosto. So that is the highest, craziest, hottest time to go to Italy. You're going to pay for it. And you're going to not only pay with your money, you're going to pay with the time that it takes to get uh, around places, and you're going to pay with your comfort because it's going to be very, very crowded. And very hot. And, very I, hot. and here's a tip for all of our listeners out there. This is another power hour secret tip. <laughs> Ferragosto on August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption, is a national holiday in Italy, and everybody in the country essentially is mandated, actually, right, mm-hmm. to take off two weeks in August, either the two weeks before the 15th yeah. or the two weeks after the 15th. For a while. For, yeah, for one nice long holiday. So what what that means for you as a first time or return visitor is you run the chance of half of the places you want to go being closed. So it, it, consider half of the working population is off in, in either part of the month. So it, it's a good time to go if you're going to see family, go back to the town, spend time right. at the beach. It's not a great time to go if you want to go see museums or shopping or yeah, things the like that. Those are basically open. the stores are closed more than the museums. And I found over the years it's getting less and less. That's true. Uh, that's Better Golf kind of got wiped out by the 2008 recession. That's mm-hmm. true. 
you know. Yeah, but at least you're at least gonna five run into four or five days. Maybe it's not two weeks sure, long but anymore, but there's a good four to five I, days. It's the most inconsistent period in the calendar. Let's yeah. put it that way. Still, but, but I also remember in Italy that was in panic the last week in July. Oh, you're right. Because no one was coming back till the first right. week in September. You're and right. 2008 hit, and that just seemed to even. I noticed less siestas actually. I noticed most yeah, stores. I was shocked every time I go back. When I go to the store, I'm like, will you be open and later? They're like, no, we're open all day. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. So in case you don't know what a siesta is, it is a four to five hour break in the middle of the day that usually begins at 1 p.m. and lasts until 4 or 5 p.m. So everyone can go home and have lunch and take a nice nap and then resume. And then the stores are open a little bit later until around like 9 or 10 sometimes. And then also, I, I don't know if this is a southern thing or just like a national thing, but every town, every little town especially, has one day a week that has chiusura pomeridiana that um, is closed the second half of the day. So they just don't open again after siesta. Now, the theory behind this is that they, the merchants are going to the big city to, uh, to buy new merchandise and stuff. But in reality, they're probably just at the beach. So <laughs> beware that there is one of those days. You know, it, 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 you have to do your shopping accordingly. Yeah, you you know. can't have to shop Saturday. And you have to shop in my town. It's Thursday, the Kisudomoridiana. So uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays, everything's crazy because everybody's just like trying to get all their stuff. Like, oh, it's going to be close tomorrow. It's going to got to get the bread and milk. That's a great <laughs> Yes, you do need to get the bread and milk. Market day is no longer market day. It's like another mandated relaxation. But it's a good point. You make too, because this is something I find first-time visitors or those who are like digging a little deeper. Shopping in Italy is interesting, right? Because you got all the high-end brands. My wife could probably speak this better than than I could. I don't really know the difference because I don't buy this stuff. But like, she'll tell me it is better to buy over there in certain cases when the sales come. This is local, whatever. The VAT tax comes back. That's another big deal. But the smaller stuff and the artisanal stuff and the antiques and those kind of things. I'm finding it's much better to sort of get to a place and ask around than it is to rely on the internet because I find it really hard to get a lot of consistency and a lot of stuff that you send, end up Googling. You know, For example, I collect antique books and I'll Google about antique bookstores and nothing will come up in a decent-sized city and then I'll drive past one. So it's, it's there, but it's like a lot of it is asking around, I think. It's a, it's a more organic approach to shopping than we're used to in 2018. Like, you just, you're not going to find that dress or that pair of shoes, you know, by, by Googling it. You have to go to the Mercato. Every, every town has a Mercato, uh, you know, a market, uh, a market day. Well, Once explain, a week. Explain. If, you, if you've never seen it, if it's very hard for an American. If you've never seen a Mercato, it's like um, if, you, if you watch the movie Aladdin. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> the very beginning, you know, it's like a big spice soup. There's a pancarella, which are tables and umbrellas um, over it's their stands. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, stands. It's usually a mercato coperto, which is a, like, it means all the, um, I think that's what it means. Oh, don't crucify me if it's not. All the umbrellas cover it and block the sun because um, in the summer months, it gets really, really hot. It's outdoors. So um, people come in caravans with all their merchandise. They set it all up. And then for, um, for three or four hours, until it's usually mercato is usually until like eight in the morning until lunchtime, so until one o'clock, and they sell everything from food to shoes to housewares to plants 
You can usually find anything that you need at a uh, small town mercato. Nothing super crazy high end, but you know, nothing is something that would usually impress your friends back in America. So that's a great place to go if you're looking for like pollution aprons. Yeah, yeah. Aprons, the knives. The Noma knives come from the Mercato. They're knives that I would get at the Mercato that, that would um, that would bring back so many memories. But another thing I think that goes back to 2008, what I've noticed is there's the idea behind the Mercato was it was cheap, not cheap products. It would be, I mean, that's cheap. It's yeah, kind of like cheap products. Affordable. Cheap, affordable, affordable, product. affordable products. I notice more and more the products aren't made in Italy, they're being made in China. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when I was there in December, I walked around and um, I was kind of blown away, I said, because so many of the products are no things that you like, you know, things that you expected to be made in Italy are no longer being made in Italy. I think it's just kind of indicative of globally. You used to be able to get really nice linen pieces at the Mercato. Um, Just a different level of quality as far as shopping goes as a girl, like... You're better off if you're if you got a wedding to go to in Italy and you were thinking about buying that dress in Italy. Think again. It's so from I never buy anything in Italy. Yeah, no more. Not anymore. I don't go shopping. I buy shoes. I buy shoes because the shoes are still good. The leather is good. They use good like good quality soles. All my shoes I'll get, but that's nice. sometimes the, the most I'll get is like jewelry. Yeah, some gold. Even this trip, I didn't see anything. And like if you're buying bad. jewelry in Italy, also take into consideration Italy only works with 18 karat gold. They don't use any 14 karat gold in Italy. So if you are going to buy something in gold, it's going to cost you a little bit more. Quality is a little bit better, but just keep it in mind. I had no idea. But, but you know, I, I also think that I agree that the stuff that you could buy 20 years ago is not there anymore. But I think there's also a movement in Italy. The fact the factory produced products have, have suffered definitely. Affordable factory end products have, are now being made um, in China and everywhere else. Agreed. But I think that artisanal products are yeah, making a comeback. Italy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know what's the number one? People go to Naples. So we go to Armeno. You know, you want to bring home an affordable gift. If you if you've never seen the Neapolitan nativities, the Persepios, Google it because. We don't, you know, you can't, we, we can't show you here. But to fully understand it, you have to see these incredible nativity scenes yeah. that are handmade, they're still made in Naples. Some are very expensive, some are very, I mean, two or three euro for a nativity piece, for one figurine. But there's no better deal in Italy than the nativity scene pieces at San Gregorio Armeno. And I think that that's the kind of product, when Americans go to Italy, that's the stuff to buy now, because... There's nowhere else you can get it outside of Naples. And, and they're really incredible pieces. They're local, they have history, they have artwork. I think that, you know, stone cutting in the province of Salerno, a lot of stuff is making comebacks. So we've lost on the industrial factory end products, which is definitely a loss. But there's still unique things to get for people who are going. Yeah, definitely like in Sicily, the Cartagirona mm. ceramics, and in uh, Puglia, the Pugliese ceramics, and Sorrento, the Sorrento ceramics. I think ceramics definitely, there's ceramics Every, it's true, but they're good. Yeah, they are. Every every single area has their own unique style and design. So that's probably the the last truly unique thing that you could bring back for someone. I think of this the the inlaid wood in in, in the Sorrento so Peninsula is magnificent. Fantastic. I mean, you could definitely you could if you're going to shop in Italy. To me, uh, I think there's two things that I've learned. Like first of all, as a gentleman, 
the suits are incredible and affordable. So when it's sales season in the summer, you really can get some amazing suits. You can even have them made probably much cheaper than here. It's true. It really is. And they're, and they're awesome. I mean, they hold up really well. I, I basically buy most of my stuff there. But yeah, it's those artisanal products, good food products, local stuff. That's where you really want to spend your money and bring things home. I think the problem is the Italians, it's like the guy that I met today from Veneto. When I said, um, where are you from? He said, Italy. And I said, where? And he said, Europe, because he just assumed that I was too stupid to realize that Italy was in Europe. I think because of a lot of tourists, especially American tourists, have gone for the, the shot glass that says Sorrento on it. Mm-hmm. That's the true. Italians, uh, automatically, because they're a country predisposed to uh, generalizations, generalize that Americans are going to want the cheap product. So they fill their shelves with Chinese-made figurines. So Americans go and they say, oh, there's, a, there's the uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa, and they buy the plastic Leaning Tower. And that's not for all Americans, but I've seen it happen. I think that Italians push, because they're there to make money, a lot of times these shops push products that are just convenient, cheap products, which are not real Italian products, and they're not showing the way they should be, the authentic Italian quality products, and as well, the Italians are not doing a good job of marketing themselves. And that brings up an interesting point, another topic that I kind of wanted us to discuss, which is... What to expect of the Italians when you get over there? And I don't want to, I know where this could go because it could be, I'm sure all of us have had those similar experiences where you meet an Italian who doesn't necessarily value your inner Italianita like you do. So <laughs> I want to make sure we exercise those demons before we have the conversation. But, like uh, off mic? Yeah, <laughs> we're going to pause, we'll be back. Uh, but I mean, like, just, you know, we, we always joke about things like, first of all, to me, making an attempt at speaking the language means making an attempt at speaking the language, not throwing around the word gumba all the time. I hate to sound like I'm being critical, but there's a difference between just assuming you're Italian and going over there and actually making an effort to be a participant in the country. And a little bit goes a long way, I think, with the language. I don't know if you guys find the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I can say for me, I mean, I've, I learned Italian the last few years. I think, you know, most of you have, you know, been talking it for a while. So I was a little nervous going there, quite frankly. I mean, I got a good hold on traditional Italian in a couple of years because I had done a lot of Spanish work previously, but the dialects are just completely, you know, throw you off in these different villages. But they're not dialects, they're languages. You have to stop right. using they're, the D word. They're different, they're different languages. No, I hate the D. Nothing enrages me like the D word. Can our editors put in like a dun, 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 dun? Yeah. I, I, nothing. Why? You want to set my, because it's a lie, because Neapolitan is a language. From southern Louisiana all the way to the north of Calabria, there's one, I, I'm going to call it Neapolitan, it's not a fair word to use, but it's probably the best word to use, is one general language, and it has subsets, which are local dialects. So Bayano is not a dialect of Italian, Bayanese, so it would be Bayanese. What would dialect of that. Of Neapolitan, right. which is a language. There's about six or seven million people who would have Neapolitan as their first language geographically. What's spoken on Rye is a constructed language that was a post-war Italian constructive language based on, on, on a foreign team, a foreign team. People who speak those, those foreign, I guess the standard Italian as a base language, mm-hmm. if we're going to even use that word, is about three million. Neapolitan is double. If you want to pick an Italian, a language for Italy based on population, it should have been Neapolitan. If you want to pick a language based on culture, music, film, literature, it's open in Neapolitan. Neapolitan is the rule. Dante, get, write, Dante writes a book 
and they're going to they're going to base the nation's language on 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 Dante. Right. Neapolitan deserved to be the language of the United States. I think States, a few years ago, they, there was something out there that the iPhone Siri was going to start understanding Neapol- the Neapolitan really? wow. language. language. Because yeah, yeah. they, they do have a couple of different Italian in Siri. I think it's it's there's traditional and there's like a couple of other ones like Swiss Swiss or something like that. But, but anyway, back to the point was that when I went there, I just tried. You know, like John was saying, like I really just all I just tried to speak was Italian. Everybody, first of all, a lot of people understood me, thankfully. But second of all, I mean, they just were like they were willing to under try and they were trying to help you and they loved the fact that I was trying and being genuine about it and when it came to my family because my mother's family from Sicily when we were there I mean I guess it would be like my aunt or whatnot when I was talking to her like I mean I should have really had no business understanding anything she was saying but I really understood everything she was saying which I think is, you know, partially yeah. the language, partially like John talked about before. You kind of know that this is where you're from, really, and you just kind of figure it all out when you're there. Which is another reason for people to really go back. Because it's a pretty cool feeling when someone's talking to you and you're like, totally understand what this woman's saying. Like, a lot of things that I hear a lot <laughs> are that, um, so someone will usually tell me, oh, when I was little I spoke Italian, but now I don't speak Italian anymore. And I say, well, what, what makes you think that you don't speak Italian anymore? It's like, well, I forgot everything. And uh, my parents spoke it, and I and I would hear it, and I would speak it when I was little. But um, now nobody speaks Italian, so I don't speak Italian anymore. And I was like, I think you, you probably, if you go back to Italy, right. you will understand more Italian than you think. And um, I say this to people because when I was a little girl, I, I always say Italian was my first language. It was the my both my parents were from Italy. They spoke Italian only to me. I didn't know any English until I went to school. And then I didn't go back to Italy until I was seven. And by the time I went back to Italy, they said I didn't speak Italian very much. I wanted to be an American kid, and I was speaking. And as soon as I got off the plane, it was in my Zia's arms. I was in the car, on the highway. I look out the window, and I go, Zia, mi piace l'Italia. And ever since I spoke Italian again, and I never lost it. Right. So you never lose those things. Right. I, I believe in blood memory like that. I, I, I'm I, completely with you on that. Yeah, I think it, it's just, I think people get very embarrassed. Yeah. And they get very embarrassed. Why, Why do they get very embarrassed, Patrick? Why? Why do they get very embarrassed, Dolores? This is something I that... Have to. I'll guys, tell you what Guys, let me just tell you that um, over the past few months, this group has come oh, together um, even more... We've, you know, shared experiences and memories and um, feelings about our Italian-American identity. So something Dolores and I personally talk about a lot is how um, Italians from Italy seem to perceive uh, Italian-Americans like us that are kind of, you know, ultra-Italian-American, if you will. (laughs) I I, I don't know how else to put it. we're the yeah. lifers. <laughs> the yeah, lifers. We're not but, 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 hold, but hold on. And it's not always kind. It's not always 100% kind. No, and not. sometimes it's, it's a, it can be a little mocking. And there are definitely Italians out there that you will say something um, off or have an accent off or something. And they will, they will mock you for it. I'm not going to lie. It happens. It sucks. And it happens, it shouldn't happen. The correct response is my Italian is better than your non-existent English. That's what <laughs> I say. Yes. That is exactly like, like, like you, let's, let's talk, let's speak, you want to speak English? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't. So we'll just keep speaking my Italian. Well, my Italian's better than yours. Sometimes it comes. It can come down to um, <laughs> sentiment that like so that can be borderline <laughs> racist. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it would always be like, oh, the, oh, how cute she has this like American accent, or how uh, how cute she has a Pugliese yeah. accent. Like how adorable. And I'm like, it's not adorable. It's, it's condescension. But yeah. they, that's a that's a program on Italy's own complicated psychology mm-hmm. and class system. Yeah. Yes. That's a whole, that's an entire, and the reason I say that, I think Seriously. Italian-Americans are embarrassed is because it, the sick, and I, I hope this, if you're Italian you're offended, then I've done my job. If you're, <laughs> a lot of Italy's psychological sickness with their own obsession with class is that when someone speaks a local language, which is incorrectly called a dialect, there is a condescension because in Italy that's associated with a lack of education. That's true. So that's Italy's problem. So people go there. I remember the first time I was in Italy, I was in Venice on a school trip, and you can always pick up the, the Neapolitan on me, and the guy in the store, it's the first time I ever heard of Lega, said to me, oh, you're from the south of Italy, oh, your family's from Campania, oh, and he used the word monkey. Wow. Shame, And he used the word monkey, and he said, he was, he said you know, we started a new party here, and he said horrible things about the south of Italy being North Africa. So, you know, my first experience in Italy speaking Italian was mocked. And it was mocked because they could hear my, even though it's an Italian high school, they could, the Campania, the Neapolitan always comes out. So, you know, I think that that's something, I'm sure there are plenty of Italian Americans who went there who used the words that they grew up with because their family spoke a local language, a regional Italian language, and they were mocked by someone in Italy with their own, their own who have, have their own issues. And these people stopped speaking and froze because they were embarrassed. This is absolutely right. And this is something we talk about often. You were talking about Marca before, right? Well, well you say Marca, where yeah, the markets. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to chime in, but then the conversation went a different way. My entire, like, psychology, neurosis, pathos with Italian identity and, and speaking the language began there. Because I used to go to Italy. It wasn't outside people for me. It was my own family. And I would go, and my mother and people like that would say, don't talk. Don't talk. Because if you talk, they're going to know you're American, and they're going to charge us more money. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So she, that's to say, true. this is a reality. To say yeah, that's true. Two or three lira, she would tell me to not talk. And I know I love her to death, please. Whatever. I know she didn't realize what she was doing, but she, what she was doing was saying, don't talk, because you can't. And so I didn't. So for years and years and years, I can't really speak Italian. No, I understand it, but I don't speak it. Oh, maybe I speak the dialects. I kind of speak the dialect, but say I don't that know. Say that back. Wait, self-correct. Maybe I Nobody speak. Nobody used to say dialect, so I wouldn't say language. But you know what? That doesn't sound like people try and rip me off because I, I have a little bit of an American accent. Or, right. You know, but it, there's a follow-up to that, which is, as I was saying earlier... For the first time, I went to Italy without my family, with my husband, who does not speak any Italian, does not understand Italian. So I was not only speaking for myself, I was having to translate for him and with everybody we met. And do you know what? I speak rather good Italian. Rather good? Rather well. You absolutely do. I could switch back and forth between, when we were in Sicily, I spoke Italian. When we went to Campania, I could speak the dialect. When we were in Naples, I was speaking the dialect. And then I could switch back. And so many people, strangers, would say to me, 
you, you speak beautiful Italian, and you have a terrific accent. On not me going, I mean, how do I? Were just in Italy. You're talking yeah, about not me asking them. Do I speak well? They would just offer it to me. I get and that a lot. I mean, I, I learned I learned from me. my grandparents, Neapolitan, Sicilian. My grandmother's parades, a little few words of parades that she used, but I kept the cadences. I kept the yeah, grammatical structure. I kept a lot of uh, words that I didn't even remember in my head. And my my parents don't speak Italian. My my dad's okay, but uh, as I spent more time there, worked there, you know, whatever it is, over these years, people compliment the the natural. It's bad in a lot of ways, too. But, so yeah, but, yeah, so, yes, it's I mean, exactly. but I mean, Pat speaks in a beautiful Neapolitan, yeah, words that people don't even know, and everybody compliments and, and, you know, it. and you know what? Because there's such um, such shame associated with speaking, speaking the language, local, local language, languages, languages. Yeah. you know, when I was when I was little, my grandmother, who has a uh, a third grade education, uh, tried her hardest to only speak to me in Italian, in prop in the most proper Italian that she mm. could. If I if I heard her with my aunt saying, you know, oh fushakal, fushakra, you know, shamanan, and I would repeat anything, I would get I would get swatted. Wow. I would and she non si parla il dialetto, mi raccomando. But and I didn't understand why. I was like, but you're giggling, I'm giggling too. We're all giggling. What's the problem? And I I had no idea why they didn't explain it to me because oh that's just that's what uh, uneducated people. Right say like a talk like and I, you know now thinking that well and then when I was 13 14 I made it a point to learn the Molese yeah. dialect because which I is a beautiful language which is a beautiful, yes. language, beautiful language which had that has poetry yeah. and literature and music and uh it's, and it's being lost by the way. it's being lost because the kids don't care to the kids uh, there today have that same sentiment yeah. about it oh like that's for you know the farmers talk yeah. like that we, we don't talk we go to school now it's our job to do that and i don't want to go too far into the language conversation because yeah, we can this episode will also be available in the neapolitan <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's our job and they think that and people mistakenly about me it's a misconception they think that I uh, they hear me speak dialect and they think I only know how to speak dialect because that's what I that's because I too. speak it with no accent they say when I speak Italian I have an American accent when I speak dialect I have no accent so they think that's the only thing I know how to speak and they categorize me as one of those Italian Americans whose parents only taught her dialect which there's nothing wrong with that but Italians in Italy make that a problem. Yeah. And we can be a source of pride in these regional languages because we do have better speakers. We do have vocabulary that's lost. We have, we're freed from Italy's own hang-ups around these yeah. languages. So that's part of the quest. But, but and I just want to say one thing. One of the things I've always wanted to do for our efforts here to raise some funds is sell t-shirts. I think it's a great way to do it. Yeah, I know I love t-shirts. I just design them in my spare time. But I think <laughs> I think we should have a line of t-shirts that say, I speak a language in all of the regional languages of these areas with the flag and show you where it's yeah, from yeah, yeah. and let people put it out there and put it into the world. That this is a language, yeah. not a dialect. Like we'll that. sell more if this is like a ah, mama dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to do the Kita Mufti shirt, the Kita Mufti Strano 
That's a great shirt. I want that shirt. Once we get that done, trademark, trademark everything. I'm going to tell my dad you designed it because she'll be mad. I'll just explain me. I think in Italy I see slight changes because I think that Italians see they're losing their local language and culture. And I think that 10 years ago, what was mocked, it's not as bad now. Now it's a million miles away from where it should be. But I see a small glacial centimeter move from where it was. I just want to bring this conversation back to the topic of the show, which is traveling <laughs> to Italy, and say like everything everyone yeah, said. We keep we keep we we, we keep it, we're being yelled. We we people someone a few we had a few complaints that we go off topic, but it's an Italian conversation. No, but we it, were very good today. We were very very good. If you complain, you got a lot of nerves because we were very. We had to work really hard on about what you should bring to Italy. There you go. No, no, this is not even off topic from our tangent. I think it's, it's, it fits, which is what I said about when I was little and that whole, everything I went through and then going back this time, what, and it goes back to what Rosella said before I said that, which is the, the blood memory and that it's really, it, it's in you. So what you, your job is, even if it was just like Anthony saying, his great grandparents, right? Spoke Italian. Mm-hmm. And he. Well, my grandparents, a little more than my grandma, but my great grandparents all. And you said you remembered a little bit hearing yeah. them. So it's just, it's it's in you, even if it's just the um, cadence or the accent. So your job is to kind of peel off all the layers that you've put on over the years that said, I can't speak it, I don't know it. Do I study? I do study. I, do I read in Italian in order to improve my Italian? All the time. There's nothing wrong with that. Anthony did the same thing. You, you know, that's what you should do. And when you go there, people really do appreciate that you're trying. And you'll feel, you will have conversations with people that you would not have otherwise had. I mean, even in Alicudi, the, um, because I could speak Italian to the people who were there, we learned so much more about Drew's family. I mean, even Drew said, if you weren't here, I wouldn't have found out half of this because it was easy for me to speak to them well, directly. Let me say from an anthropological background, there's a difference between being a tourist. There's a difference between being a participant observer. And there's a difference between being an observing participant. And those are all really, really important distinctions. And you, you, the language makes makes a difference. And, and I want to I take us on, uh, uh, on to, Can to travel. Can I just one thing? Because I've been very good. So you've got to give me you have a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Have yeah. This is your treat. I think that when you speak, <sighs> Italians are impressed when Italian-Americans speak Italian. You become part of the tribe when you can speak the quote-unquote dialect. Yeah. yeah. Because then you're one of them. Can I just say that the question for today's topic is going to be, do they speak Italian in Italy? That's what it's going to be, because it's going to be about discovering Italy. We're going to change the name three times before this. Do they really really speak Italian in Italy? I think that should be what we call this. What what is your major tip? Rosella told us what to bring back for family. What's your secret tip to Italy that you've learned in all of your travels going there? And I think it's safe to say between us, there's probably hundreds of trips to Italy. So what's the one nugget? What's the one power hour travel commandment you can give our audience? Go. Oh, so Stephanie's out for the day, so we you, can, so if, six will six will be. If here. you're going, just be prepared. You might lose your luggage. Yeah. Um, and if this happens to you, I'm very sorry, but um, you might lose your luggage. And when you get it back, 
There might be some stuff in the <laughs> That happened to me many times. The, yeah, that happens. It, it happens less now. There was a point where it was getting a little crazy. Like, my mom got her suitcase of, uh, five days later. It was still, the guy had it over his head. Her underwear was missing. I mean, it was extra. It was extra, extra. Make sure you pack um, essentials in a carry-on. Don't put anything expensive in your luggage. I mean, I am the queen. My family was just like the the most extra people like before you could bring two suitcases they were always overweight we were always those people at the airport switching moving bags moving yeah. weight around you know hold my curling iron like try to avoid that weigh your stuff get the get the new uh the new scales weigh them before you go back with the with the little scale that you put on the handle now the new things the kids have now yeah it weighs it in gonna, the airport yeah you're gonna buy more stuff you're gonna that's a very important thing so that's my tip anybody else I think that when you get there, when you, let's say you ask to go to a restaurant, a lot of times they're going to see American and the first reaction is going to be, they're Americans, they don't know any better. All they do is eat McDonald's all day. I'm going to send you to the touristy place. I think you need to articulate to the people that you ask is that you want to go where they would go. And a lot of times they know they're going to send you to their cousin's place. That's, that's, that's true. The people yeah. that's Here's true. Gino. Tell so Gino why I sent yeah, you. And they write something in the back. But I, I think that not. with... Local handcrafts, local food, local food products. If you if they see that you really appreciate and are interested and respect their local specialties, they will go out of their way to help you get them. Yeah. Be it food, be it you know tourism or you know arts or crafts. So I would articulate to the person that you're asking, I really want to see what's special about this town. I want to eat what's special about this town. Tell me where to go. Tell me where to get. And I don't think you'll go wrong. We've been hard on the Italians, but I have to say, that's what I love about Italy. Because there have been trips where I've been there and, like, you know, I'm in Rome and I meet a guy from uh, Campania and say, oh, yeah, the, you know, the, the buffalo mozzarella is the best. And, like, the next day at my hotel will show up a perfectly packaged buffalo mozzarella, like, for me to take home. Like, they, like he went home and got yeah. it and drove it up yeah. Because they're proud. Yeah. yeah. That's right, rightfully so. Yeah, rightfully so. Yeah. Rightfully yeah. so. But that's the good side. Who else got a tip? Because I, I know, know Anthony's got to have a bunch of tips. He wrote a whole book on this. Well, um, you can get Anthony's book on Amazon, not to put out a senseless plug, but it's it's a valid plug. Yeah, it's a great okay. book. We've all loved it. We've all read it and loved it. And it's going to give you a really great guide to this. And, and also... The title of the book. Title of the book. And I think we're... What's that? Title of your book. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Plug we'll your own book. We 40 Days in Italy, Colonia Familia, which is what we spent 40 days there, which was great. And I think we're going to do, like, and, you know, we mentioned this, but we're going to do more episodes on a travel, like, specifics, because today we were talking, yeah. like, in generalities, you know, John hid the hotel name from you. We're going to put all that into another episode. And we're also going to do one on genealogy, too, because we know a lot of Italian-Americans don't know if they have living relatives from out there so we can get into that on an episode but I think tips is just like enjoy I think the one thing about southern Italy in terms of like the living it's very simple you know which is something we definitely don't have here that's for sure Um, that's one thing I like there the Wi-Fi sucks yeah frankly yeah. Which kind of was a good thing on the internet. It's nice. Kind of what we have to do. It could be a good thing. The air conditioning sucks. The air conditioning sucks, and you know, to Pat's point, I think the best restaurants we went to were the ones that had no menu. Yep. Mm. They said, "Well, yeah, no menu. menu. This yeah. is what we're Here's making we're tonight." Made. And I remember those being the best, the smallest, and like the best restaurants that we went to. Everything was just so fresh, and it was just you know, a family that was just making stuff for you. And that's it. I mean, we can go all day. But those are I feel like my tip is like so 
personal. I don't know if it's actually going to help anybody, but it's the only thing I keep thinking about as you guys talk, so I guess I'll just say it, which is don't worry about being not Italian when you're there. Don't worry about being... Like, don't be self-conscious so that you don't speak or you don't go into that little restaurant or that little side street. Like, that you don't, you just go to the touristy places because you don't feel like you're really, quote-unquote, Italian because you grew up Italian-American. Because you grew up Italian-American. You know, just, just go there in your own skin, comfortable, and, you know, speak if you know a few words here and there. Drink, drink the wine that they give you and just try to enjoy the way of life as much as possible, you know, being who you are. Well, you took that right out of my head, as yeah. usual. We're psychological. I, I wrote here, you can see on my, my notes here, don't, oh, no, don't, don't be afraid. And, and yeah. I also took a uh, check for air conditioning in the hotels. But don't be afraid. Don't listen to Italians tell you how, safe, how dangerous it is in Naples. Go to Napoli. Yeah, yeah. Don't, uh, don't be A lot of those people have never been to Naples. That's also true. They'll tell you, please don't go to Naples. It's dangerous. And when were you there? Why have you never gone? <laughs> but my point is like, no further don't questions. be afraid. And don't be afraid to get off the beaten path. It's, it is great. And, and if, if, you, if you're only there for a short time, yeah, you want to see the Colosseum and the canals of Venice. But Italy is the Italy of small towns. Yeah. And that's where you fall in love with John, the place. can I just ask you to tell a story for the benefit of our listeners sure. about when you were in Abruzzo and you got to see that special place that no one got to oh, see? Well, if my, you want to tie up what, how to see the real Italy. All right, so that's the perfect question. My last two questions were going to be for us to tell one secret destination that we want to share with people that they may not have heard of, and then in one word, tell our favorite place. So I will go first. And favorite place is hard for you to pick, so just tell us the, the city that's your favorite, the town, the beach, the restaurant, the whatever it is, your favorite place, and, and, and a secret destination. So for me, this is a good secret destination. My wife's family is from Abruzzo. I have really fallen in love with that region. I never explored it until my father-in-law took us there and uh, we were lucky enough to be at a friend's wedding in Lecce Puglia uh, a month ago and then rented a car and drove up through the coast of Abruzzo and over to her aunt's place and then to Rome. And I will say um, Abruzzo is a great, somewhat undiscovered region. So much to see and do if you're a nature lover, uh, if you are uh, into art and culture. The beaches are unbelievable. My little secret destination is definitely the town of Vasto. It's a great medieval town in the mountains with a beautiful beach down below it. But what Pat's referencing is I have like a real passion for Byzantine art in southern Italy. And I found this church uh, with some of the oldest Byzantine paintings, uh, frescoes, in all of Italy. And this church is in the middle of the mountains in Abruzzo. And I had to... Thank goodness I called and asked about their hours because it wasn't online. And they were shocked that I called. There had been damage after the earthquake to a bunch of these churches in the mountains. They didn't get tourism anyway. And this one lady had to come out and make a day of it and meet us at a specific time to open this church. And I walked through this church, and it was so incredible. It was the only example of these very peculiar Romanesque columns in the entirety of Italy hyper-specific frescoes. Uh, I mean, the paintings that were so old that the, that the Christ over the altar didn't even have a beard. Like, that was a very old way of uh, representing Jesus Christ as, as beardless. And she was basically crying to me that, like, people just don't come. She's like, once every couple of months we make it a tour bus of, like, ten Japanese people. So, for me, my recommendation is dig, because 
yes, you do want to see the Coliseum. You do want to see the Last Supper and, and all of these wonderful places. But if you have the opportunity to go back, find that little middle of nowhere place and, and then tell people about it. Be an evangelist and ambassador for our culture. Because you know what? We could be here for 500 years. It's still our culture and it's still our heritage. And that is our history. That is where my wife's family comes from. And it's our job to share that with the world as much as it is the Italian's responsibility. So it's not fair for 50-something million people to have 60% of the world's heritage sites on their shoulders. Let's do our part to help. Uh, so that's my secret place. Oh, and my favorite place, I think my favorite place to be, sitting in front of the statue of the Veiled Christ in Napoli. And if you don't know what the Veiled Christ is, I think it's the greatest expression of human artistic ability in marble ever. Put it into the Google box, take a look at it, and you will want to go there too. So who's next? Secret destination I don't think and I favorite have a place. Destination. Restaurant tip. Hotel I spent, tip. I spent most of my beach that people don't go to. Sea to go and Here's a tip. Here's a tip that's just random. It's not a specific place because I don't remember the name of it. But we were in. My family lives in the mountains in a town called Albanella. But the closest, I guess, bigger place near it is Paestum. Oh yeah. Oh, Paestum's beautiful. And which is beautiful, and they took us to a. To get gelato there, made from the milk of the buffalo. To Vanula? And they have a buffalo in the back of the shop, <laughs> literally. And it was the, like, when you talk about gelato, wow. it was like on another level in terms of like how creamy and everything it was. It, it's like stands out. So on the commune, on the tour, we actually take people to a, uh, a place called uh, to Vanulo. I think it's Tenuta Vanulo or something. But uh, it's like Vanulo is a farm, is a buffalo farm. And it's an organic buffalo farm where the buffalo get massages and listen to Mozart. <laughs> and they produce... The yeah. Mamone buffalo, huh? The, uh, the, no, that's that's Campania the, being Campania. The, the it's in Paglia, right by Paestum. And it's, uh, the theory that Mbatipaglia is buffalo country. That's okay. where most of the buffalo mozzarella in, uh, in Campania is produced. So the idea is that happy buffalo will make better milk, sure. and um, and they make uh, buffalo gelato, yogurt, oh, uh, so cheese, good. and they don't sell to any shops, to any supermarkets. If you want the the mozzarella, you have to reserve it and come and get it. And the only way to get it, if you didn't reserve it, is if someone didn't come and get theirs. So they're totally self-sustaining. It's just an incredible, wow. incredible yes. place. And we bring the people here, and even though it smells, I mean, like there's buffalo everywhere, they are just in awe oh, sure. of yeah. a place like this. That's... Let's let's give a deserved plug to Rosella's Trips. If you want to go back and you're inclined towards doing it on a tour, I highly recommend going with somebody like Rosella, who is so passionate, knows the place, and obviously is pretty easy to be around because we all choose to be around her a lot. So uh, <laughs> tell the audience where they can find your trips and maybe they'll get to come back with you. So um, my Cooking with Nona tours are done usually in the first two weeks of September. Um, we do the Amalfi Coast and we do Puglia. We do the Amalfi Coast because I work with a tour organizer um, named Pasquale that uh, is basically the mayor of Sorrento. I mean, by the mayor of Sorrento, I mean that his ex-wife owns seven pharmacies in Sorrento. So... <laughs> Um, he, he knows everybody and he has these personal relationships that make our tours really exceptional. Um, and we pride ourselves in taking you a little bit off the beaten path. Um, of, of course, they're food and wine centric. And then in Puglia, we take you to Puglia because I am from Puglia. My family is from Puglia. And um, I think that my personal relationships make that tour exceptional 
in and of itself. So and on the on the Amalfi Coast tour, we stay in a big villa, a 10-bedroom villa with a with a view of Ischia and Capri, and we all cook together in a big communal, ki- communal kitchen. We go to Michelin-starred restaurants, and we go to restaurants that eat off paper plates, you know, so we really try and show you some high and low. In Puglia, we take... We, take you to see Festa Patronale in Moladivari, where my family's from. So that is um, the biggest feast of the year of Our Lady of Sorrow, La Madonna Dolorata. And what other tour is going to take you to see that? So uh, we take you to see some really cool stuff. And uh, you can find all the information on uh, www.cookingwithnona.com. And Rosella reminded me of my tip. I want to take back. I do have a tip. Go to Italy to a little town on their feast day. There's nothing like the feast day yeah. to explore the yeah. town. That's a good tip. That'll be another episode too. That is another episode. Feast is a whole, that's a series. My tip is really try and live like an Italian while you're there. Really try and adopt the um, the timing and the and just the pace of life because it is a lot slower. And I always tell people once in your life, you should go to Italy for 30 days at least. Um, a week is way too short, 10 days and two weeks. Okay. But to really get into that groove, you really got to be there for like a month. And what's going to start to happen is after the first few days, you're going to forget about the Wi-Fi. You're going to get an email. You're going to be like, Oh, I just don't care. You know, you're just gonna, you're going to go sit somewhere. You might even start smoking. I don't know. <laughs> the, air, <laughs> the air conditioning is going to make yeah. you sick. You're going to be putting a scarf on in the summer. Yeah, you're going to become Italian. But you're going to sit there with a, with a coffee and a cocktail at the same time at a cafe. And you're just going to people watch and you're just going to realize I am loving life right now. Speaking of cocktails. Speaking <laughs> of cocktails, we? ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Paisani, this is the part of the show where you can't join us. We want to really thank you for being here with us this week. We are going to go enjoy some cocktails together, as we tend to do. And I think that the theme of this show is go over there if you can, do it any way you can, and just enjoy it, live, and let go. Because uh, for better or worse, it's our place, and it's a great place to be from. So... I'm John Viola signing off for our team here and our esteemed panel saying grazie for being with us and we will be with you next time. When I eat, he gets a treat.